And I believe that there's been a common, there's been a common theme among the ministry of drawing us back. If any of us have even departed, but drawing us back in memory, the message that brought us to thus far. Yes, there's a one of the greatest concentration of Pentecostal people is in, is in, in an area about I guess from De Ritter to De Quincey to Lake Charles to Beaumont Orange uh, up to Bonwire, Texas on the straps of Sabine River southwest Louisiana and southeast Texas had the honor and the privilege of pastoring one of the churches as an old sawmill town 13 miles out of De Quincey. If you go around De Quincey or the Ritter area today, you'll find, you'll find, you go on the bank, you'll find half the folks there, Pentecostal people. And um, it's, it's amazing if you did not grow up that way. But um, I had the honor of pastoring 13 miles from De Quincey. It's been about 11 years in Louisiana. And this little sawmill town called Fields, Louisiana. A little town that um, nothing but a store there now, post office, school, Baptist church that meets once a month, and a Pentecostal church of about 80 or 90 people. A lot, of, a lot of preachers got the Holy Ghost there. Carl McKellar, Verbal Bean got the Holy Ghost to Fields, uh, many others. But in 1917, one of our oldest churches, Brother Oliver Foss, went there with a brush harbor. And I've told this story a time or two since then, but there are many eyewitnesses. In fact, we just preached a funeral just a few months, several months ago. A gentleman that's 86 years old. Some of the old timers that are there today will tell you the story. With Oliver Falls, somewhere about 1919 or 1920, 21, there was an old branch out beside, behind the church, about three or four hundred yards. And Brother Foss's dad was baptizing several people. And this lady come up out of the water. She had a white dress on, and she went to the bank. And as the Holy Ghost settled on that little congregation of people on that the side of that little branch, this lady got to shout. If you don't believe it, I didn't see it. I'm retelling it. But it's about 12 feet wide. She ran across that water. appreciate hearing what we've heard this week. And we've been privileged to sit. We wept, we cried, we ran aisles, we rejoiced. We got two more messages. I can't wait to hear what's coming. Could we stand? Let's ask God to get to right now to anoint the Father to come.
appreciate the privilege of being here and being a part of the Mississippi Camp Meeting 1996. So deeply appreciate your leadership, Brother Travis, District Secretary, and the District Board. They mean so much to all of us. They are doing such a tremendous job. And I want to thank them for the privilege of being here with you. But before I read my text, in a our sister don't mind playing, but I wish she would. When the prophet got ready to do something, the first thing he called for was a minstrel. And it sets the proper attitude, the proper tone for what we're doing. I want you to be seated. I'm going to talk to you just a minute from my heart before I read a text or before I do anything. words my wife gave me before I come to the pulpit. Now, honey, you don't listen to what I'm saying. She said, honey, get up there and get started. <laughs> but uh, I am a member of the International Historical Committee of the Pentecostal Church. Maybe you've done it, but if you haven't, while some of your old pioneers are still alive, somebody go to them, take a tape, and sit down, and just let them talk about the history of this city. So much is going to the grave that we'll never be able to bring back that we'll never be able to hear I will never forget the days 50 years ago 40, 46 years ago to be exact they called me to go to Lufkin two miles south on highway 59 take a couple of my men and clear out enough ground to have a board meeting. So they were thinking about buying that property and ultimately we did. Then they called me and said, Brother Foss, I was just pastoring six miles from the campground. Would you take your men and go up and clear off enough land for us to stretch a tent? and have a camp meeting. Hardly any pictures left. Hardly any records. 1917, my dad at Fields, Louisiana. He was pastoring that church. But twice a month, he walked that 13 miles and walked back to the Quincy to pastor the church in Fields. The church at Singer was just a preaching point. It's 14 miles further on down the road. And my dad, twice a month, walked 
that 30 miles to preach to people. Church is there today. But who knows what it costs to put them there. You're sitting in a tabernacle that's shrouded with blood, sweat, and tears. And the generation following these gray heads, these slow steps, these bent shoulders, someday needs to know how Camp Meeting 96 come about. So whatever you do, do something to preserve the history of this great state. Your old pioneers are, are leaving. So many of them are already gone. The ones that pioneered the gospel here. I asked Brother Hill if his dad was still alive, and he told me, oh, yes. But he's very, very feeble. Somebody needs to go and sit down and talk to him and tell him, Brother Hill, just tell us how it was when you first got here. Don't you wish you could today talk to Brother A.D. Gurley? He's gone. Your former superintendents are gone. Some of the board members that was here when I used to preach years ago quite frequently in Mississippi are not here anymore. Don't let these voices die without somebody having their knowledge recorded for the generation yet unborn. If the Lord tarries, we'll know where we come from. These two young men they teamed me up with to preach. Brother Porino and Brother Jones. I thought they would not wear out, but Brother Porino got up here tonight, today. His voice was squeaky and, and uh, raspy, and I said, well, praise God. Maybe it's not that I'm so old. And my, what a beautiful thing we had in a beautiful time. But I come to this, uh, this service with a lot of mixed emotion. There is a very strong possibility that this will be the last time that I will ever stand in this tabernacle and preach. I thought that I had kind of retired from preaching camp meetings ready to turn it over to our younger generation. I have since the early 60s 
until now. I've ministered in probably just a little over 200 of these kind of services. I've enjoyed every one. But the sundown of a man's life comes to me. my dad fade off of the stage of action I watched V.A. Gidrose and I'm not in the class with those men but they were my ideals I watched him when he was so feeble he had to be led George L. Glass is gone C.A. Nelson was buried just not too long ago. I can go on and on with powerful, great men. But I ask God today if, if it be so, that perhaps this will be the last message I'll preach in a camp meeting. To let me preach the way I want to. And let me feel the way I want to feel. And so if you'll journey with me for a little while. I want to take you back into some areas that. you've never been but I want God to talk to us I've appreciated all of the faith building messages and regardless of how I preach to you some people say Brother Foss you preach so negative call it what you want to but your life in Jesus Christ is not going to be a utopia. And some of you have told me, Brother Foss, you really dug me up. You and the messages at night, Brother Farino, the teaching, the men that have preached in between your special guest. That it's it's really they really dug me up they really hit me you know what you're saying if I can get up here with this book and show you a spot that's wrong you're not ready for the rapture I don't believe you heard me I'm just a mortal man but when God turns the searchlight of his love on you you have got to be without spot and without a blemish. He's not going to overlook anything. 
And I haven't come to hurt you. I haven't come to make you feel bad. But I've come with my heart open, my spirit bared, to tell you. Not only have I enjoyed being with you here, but I'm going to spend eternity with you. in November nineteen forty four. Praying in an upper room started out to be a prayer for the whole night. Only two of us. My prayer partner at that time was Brother James L. Kilgore, and it was two o'clock in the morning. In a building that you went up a flight of stairs to get upstairs, and then you walked down a hall, and you found a big room with double doors that opened into the room. We was over at the end of the room and we were kneeling about three chairs apart. And such an intensity of the presence of God came into that room. And while that spirit was hovering, as plain as you hear the piano keys, we heard footsteps coming up the stairs. We heard the footsteps coming down the hall. heard the doors open and I know you're going to probably criticize me for what I'm going to tell you but as those steps came into that room I have never felt in all of my life as much and as as strong power of Almighty God the steps walked in I heard the steps coming up behind us it came and stopped between Brother Kilgore and myself nothing was said I became so afraid I began to tremble and it seemed like the longer I stayed there the stronger that spirit became and after what seemed like maybe 15 minutes 
I was in such a state of mind. Being in this kind of presence that I could not stand it any longer. I jumped and run. I ran out the doors. I run down the hall. I run down the steps. I ran nearly a mile to a dormitory. And when I run to the door of the dormitory, which was a converted two-story house, standing beside me was Brother Kilgore. I never said anything. I just went in and I didn't sleep that night. And so many times I wondered, Brother Travis, if I could have stood it. If I could have stayed there. I wonder what would happen. See, I was telling God at that time I will preach. I will do what you want me to. And he stepped in there at such a time. And I've often thought, God, if I could have just waited. If I could have just stayed in that place. I wonder what you would have done. I never have discussed it with Brother Kilgore until this past district conference. The board asked me to preach the first night of the district conference, really the only preaching night. And I preached the message that I'm about to preach to you, and I prefaced the message with this. The presence of God is awesome. The presence of God is so much. I asked the Lord, I said, God, if you would, if you would come again like that, if I could just have that experience under the load of pastoring the apostle Paul gave you a lot of things he went through brother Travis then he said and the things of the churches come upon me daily and in the midst of one of those times I just walked into our church nobody there I went to the altar I laid down across the altar and I felt the awesome presence of the Lord the second time in my life I heard the swinging doors open I heard the footsteps come I knew where they were coming but I could not I'm sorry I could not when he walked up to that altar and stood by me I could not hold myself again. I run out. And before you criticize me, 
let me say for a mortal man to stand naked in front of an immortal God is such an awesome thing after God had talked to Abraham and give him his promise the Bible said Abraham stood before God. What an awesome statement. Once again, when I run, I said, God, I'm sorry. I may never feel that again. Someday, I'm going to walk into the portals of heaven. I'm going to walk into his presence for the curtain. And I'm not going to be afraid. Nothing's going to be wrong then. And so with this preface to my text, I'm going to read it for you. I'd like to ask you to stand. Pardon me just a minute. I want to love him just a little bit. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Psalms 139, I begin at verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down settings, my uprisings. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path. My lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast set me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is I, I cannot attain to it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be as light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both 
the same unto thee. Out of the book of Job, I will read. Chapter 23. And I want to read verses 13 through 17. But he is of one mind. And who can turn him? This was in Job's darkest hour. It was his darkest trial. There was nobody there to preach to him about a Christ that's going to protect you and going to take care of you. And Job was drawing on everything he had when he had no friend. He had nobody. His wife turned against him. Everybody was against him and blaming him for the predicament that he was in. And a lot of times our situations are really not our fault. But he is in one mind and who can turn him. And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me. And many such things are with him. Therefore I am troubled at his presence. And when I consider, I am afraid of him. For God maketh my heart soft. And the Almighty troubleth me. Because I was not cut off before the darkness. Neither had he covered the darkness from my face. His presence troubles me, Job said. I am afraid of Him. And I want to talk to you about the danger of the presence of God. The danger of the presence of God. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I am aware today that I have revealed an inner secret of my life to you. I want to talk to you about the presence of God and what it means to us. The seriousness of being in the presence of God. The seriousness of being in the presence of the one that made me. There is nothing I can hide. He knows my heart. He knows every crevice. He knows every turn of my intestine. He knows every cell that's traversing through the bloodstreams of my body. He made me. He knows where I hurt. He knows my mind and and uh, just uh, for me to for me to feel brother Travis pinch me on the finger you when you pinch me started electrical impulses that come at over five billion a second. He knows what every one of those impulses carry. You know, he, he made me where I can feel things. 
and he understands everything. And then you, you, you say, we're Brother Foss, I don't understand why you was in the, you, you was afraid in the presence of God. The awesome, the awesomeness of the presence of the Lord. How powerful, how great, everything totally bare in His presence. And some of us, our reactions in the presence of God, are they the kind of reactions that God is looking at when He lets us feel His divine glory, His divine power? The presence of God is not just the feeling that makes you want to dance. It's not just the feeling that will make you want to run in this tabernacle. It's not the feeling that will make you want to stand up and clap your hands and just wave your arms and scream to the top of your voice. There is a time that you walk in to a presence that's so powerful, that is so lethal, that you come there and you are literally overcome by the greatness of His glory. You know, I believe that God's power and His presence is given to us for a reason. I want to ask you, if you come here and you've danced, if you've come here and you've shouted, if you've come here and enjoyed the fellowship, but there's been no change in you, I wonder what God thinks about it. When you come into His presence, I believe that God demands that something changes within us. Oh, Brother Foss, I don't believe that. Then perhaps it's you that He's talking to like He talked to Peter. Peter, don't you call common and unclean the things that I have cleansed. Is it a fact that you've been around Pentecost so long that you have become Pentecostalized. You really don't know what the presence of God is all about. You feel a little shiver. You feel a little chill down your spine. Hey, honey, that's not all there is in the kingdom of God. The presence of God. The seriousness of being in it. I believe that God's presence, oh my God, if I could have stayed, I believe that the presence of God is to literally bring us into that image that He wanted us created in. You, you don't make me believe. Hey, Brother Kirk, stand up here by me. Do you believe you was created in the image of God? Do you believe I was? Well, how come you don't look like me? Thank you. You see, the image of God is not eyes and nose and fingers. That's not what he was talking about. 
even back there when he said he created man in his own image. He made him what he ought to be. But you never come into the fullness of that image until you came to the place that the power of God entered into you. And you could look around and say, the Lord lives in me. My imagery was completed when I was born again. He took out everything that should not be there. And we preach and pray and shout about to it that God was in Christ. God's in you, Brother Travis. There is no difference in you and the flesh of Jesus Christ. But have we come so accustomed to that that we things are so common? Now, don't you ask me who but some things happened on the platform last night that I do not allow on my platform at home. You want me to talk about it? I stepped off into a deep hole, didn't I? Now don't look at anybody. It wasn't your secretary. It wasn't your, uh, your district superintendent. But when the power of God was so awesome in here, there was a person on the platform and they was chewing. Just like a goat chewing a cud. Something I don't allow in Bethel Tabernacle. You say, why, Brother Foss? It's because of the presence of God that comes in there. Now, just hang on. We're going somewhere. How many of you pastors have problems with with kids playing in the church? Playing in the church house. That little boy was really cutting up inside those doors over there last night. I went to get a drink between services and, and he was uh, having himself a time. I said, son, this is the house of God. You should not be playing in here. This is the sanctuary. This is the sanctuary of the Most High. You see, when we, when you get to looking at how we feel about the presence of God, you, you don't think anything about when your pastor's preaching or when the anointing of the Holy Ghost is on the man that's preaching to you. You don't think anything, anything about getting up and walking out and walking down the aisle and going somewhere else. You don't think anything about leaning over and talking to your neighbor. No matter what's going on. I noticed last night, and this 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 happens everywhere, when Brother Jones started giving the invitation, there was a group of people seated right over here, and the people coming down the aisle could not hardly get to the altar because so many was going that way. Maybe I observe too much. Maybe I, uh, I look at too many things. 
And, you know, in our church at home, at times when I'm coming to a to a an appeal at the altar, I, I have to tell them, hey, I don't want anybody to move. Don't say nothing to anybody. And I was preaching the camp meeting in Montana and and they would go out so often whenever the altar appeal was going. And so that night, when I got up to preach, I won't ever forget it, I preached on your way to hell, stop by Calvary. I put an usher at every door. I said, I'm not going to let anybody get out of this church until we get through with this tonight. See, we are so, we are so uh, used to the presence of God. We're so used to His Spirit that we, we almost desecrate the things that God has given to us. But in the presence of God, when, uh, when Jacob got in the presence of God, he, he looked around, and when he looked around, he saw the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and he laid hold to him. And he left there with a thigh out of joint. When Moses got in the presence of God, God told him, Hey Moses, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Why is it? The ground was there before. Had to look, see if I had any holes in my socks. Sister Foss is looking down, cleaning her fingernails because I took my socks off. They're okay, honey. Look up now. But when Moses come into the presence of the Lord, take off your shoes, Moses. You're on holy ground. You, 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 uh, you, you've got no business standing there like you're standing. You've got no business acting like you act. Get your shoes off, Moses. And he pulled them off. And God began to talk to him. The high priest could not go into the holy place. He was not allowed to go into the holy place. Only one time a year. And when he went in, bells and pomegranates around the hem of his garment. And all of these things was there. Uh, they, that was to let people know that everything was alright. You couldn't go into the presence of the Lord. He was not allowed to go if he was scabbed or if he was scurvy. Or if he was cross-eyed. Or if he was club foot. Or if he was a hunchback. None of these things could he help. You couldn't go if he was flat-nosed. Am I correct? Why? Because he was going into the presence of Almighty God. Something is wrong. When we come into God's presence... A mortal man. And we walk out without anything happening to us. Nothing taking place. Now let's, let's get on into something else. You know, in the holy place, it, and in the, the presence of God, it, it is one of the greatest things that ever could happen to a man to get into the presence of the Lord. And it, uh, uh, we, we, we preach so much about feeling the presence of the Lord. If you can't feel it, 
there's something wrong with you. Learn what the presence of God is all about. And we preach about that. And we preach that, oh, just get into His presence. Yes, but listen, it's dangerous to walk in the presence of God and not, and not be changed. Hey, Pastor, let me talk to you a minute. Hey, Evangelist, Brother Burgess done a terrific job here a while ago. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever went to the pulpit? I wish I didn't have to preach. Have you ever gone to the pulpit? I'd rather not do this today. I'd just like to ask you, how long has it been since you felt a real, powerful anointing? You know what our problem is? We've all learned to preach. We preach whether there's any spirit there or not. We preach whether there is no anointing or whether there isn't. We go on and we preach. Therefore, you don't understand what the presence of God is. Whenever you're anointed, the prophet made a statement that we apply to it so much. Whenever you're really anointed. I watch Brother Jerry Jones preach and it looks to me like sometimes, and, and uh, oh, he talks a blue streak. I wish I could talk as fast as he does. But I can't. But it looks to me like if he don't get it said and get it said in a hurry, he is absolutely going to explode all over this place. That's what the prophet meant when he said it's like fire. It's like fire. It's like fire. It's like fire. Shut up in my bones. And when you get in the presence of God, that's the time to get a hold of something that you can give to the kingdom of God that will do the things that God wants. But when you go to that pulpit and you go unanointed, dreading to preach. Wish I didn't have to. I wish I didn't have to worry about it. I wish I didn't have to preach today. I wish I could just go on and forget about it. Hey friend, go back to His presence and stay there until you feel that holy anointing oil come over you. Brother Foster, you're not, you're not serious. Look, when, when our churches are void, when our pastors, our evangelists are void of the anointing, there won't be any anointing in our church. What happens when you preach unanointed? Oh, Brother Foss, I'm a good preacher. Everybody wants me to preach. Well, honey, I wished you wasn't so good. I just wished you was anointed. It's not how good you are. See, unanointed preachers get into competition. Uh, you know, I've got to do better than somebody else. I've got to do this. Hey, forget that. 
when you've been in the presence of God, all you've got to do is do what He tells you to do. And do it with all your heart. And God will make it come out all right. In the presence of God. In the presence of God. What happens? What happens when you preach unanointed? The same thing that happened when a man walked into the temple. And he went over to the table of the shoe bread. And he began to eat it. He wasn't supposed to. He burned incense on the altar. He wasn't supposed to. He walked in the light of the golden candlestick. And he wasn't supposed to. He stayed there all night. He wasn't supposed to. But the false, why didn't something happen to him? I'll tell you. Because he was not worried that the ark was not back in Israel. When Saul walked into the temple and done what he done, the ark wasn't there. In other words, the power of God was not there. What's happened to us when we can behave in the, the, the house of God? That's not the way God wants it to be with all of us. Is it because the ark is not there? Well, Brother Paul, Saul got away with it. Wait a minute. The next message you hear from Saul, when he come out of there, he'd done everything that a priest would do. He did not go into the holy place, but he stood right there at it. He was around it. He violated everything there was to violate in the presence of God. And when he walked out, he said, Samuel, Samuel, hear me. God has departed from me and heareth me no more. Hey, preacher, how long has it been since you really know that God has talked to you? You see, whenever we preach unanointed, the next step we take, you know, if you're not anointed, you've got to find something that somebody else has preached. You've got to find something somewhere that you can get up and say. And you've got to learn how to say it. And after a while, that gets to be stale. And it gets to be old. The next thing you'll start doing is playing with the alternatives to the anointing. What is the alternative? Oh, there's many of them. And some of them is this. Fasten your seatbelt. The Lord just told me that over here to my left there's somebody that's got a pain around their heart playing the numbers game I cornered a preacher at my church about it I said look you're saying God showed you this stuff God showed you this you made the statement you missed it a million miles. It, 
and not even near about right. Excuse me, nearly about right. Oh my, I hate I hate that one on this stage. And I told him, I said, you're you're not nearly right. And he said, Brother Foss, look, look, I'm right. I'm right 80% of the time. I said, look, when you tell me God, God showed you that somebody's over here. And they're there, they're supposed to be. And you describe it, and you say, God told you. If God told you, He's not right 80% of the time, He's right 100% of the time. Hallelujah. And the reason, the reason that you resort to things like that is because it's been so long since you haven't felt the real divine unction of the Holy Ghost that made it like fire shut up in your bones. You know, we, we tell people so many things when we're not anointed. And those poor gullible souls, their confidence been built in us. And we try to fool God's people that you're doing things under the guise of the anointing. And it's a debauchery. It's wrong. It's sin. God's against it. God will destroy it. Okay, the numbers game don't work. Now what are you going to do? Well, you know, uh, something's got to take place. I need a crowd. I need people. So I'll start whittling on my, my standards. You know the reason a compromise is negotiated in the heart of a man? It's because he's not feeling the genuine presence of Almighty God. Unanointed. An unanointed ministry is the most dangerous thing that could ever walk into this pulpit. Because when you have unanointed preachers, you end up with unanointed people. And what we do in this tabernacle, it needs to be under the divine unction of the Holy Ghost everywhere we go, everything we do, every time we do anything. It needs to be seasoned with the power and the glory and the mercy of Almighty God. If you don't go into a compromise, unanointed, struggling with every sermon, struggling with everything, you're, you're a setup. You are a setup for the devil. And so he'll set a trap. Somebody told me, Brother Foss, I, I wish you would preach today on, on identification and look for the people with the roses. No. The devil's got one dressed in green. Long blonde hair. Tight fitting dress. Shows every curvature of the body. A woman is a beautiful thing to look at. But when you are out of from under the presence of God, there's something there stronger than you are. And when you haven't felt His anointing in a long time, that would burn out the things that's in your soul. You're a setting duck. You are a setting duck, sir, for a reproach to come into your life. 
of the false, that, that, that can't be. And it's such a horrible thing to see a man with a powerful ministry. And when I say powerful, I'm not talking about camp meeting preachers. I'm not talking about uh, people that's in demand everywhere. Thank God you're not in demand. Hey, the demands get more than you can handle. And not only does it do something to you when you're preaching all of these things, you wrestle with yourself. You're a human. Yes, I've told Brother Jones that I felt like he preached one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard in my life. I've been hearing them all my life. But I preached, I said that to a man that is acquainted with the anointing and the unction of the Holy Ghost. And it will not go to his, his uh, head and cause him to be in the wrong frame of mind. Hey, are you hearing what I'm telling you? It won't be long when you're in demand. If you're not careful, you'll feel like you can get the job done. Hey, I walked on the campground. Look who I am. You'll strut around like a duck. Yes, but you'll also lose your feathers when the weather changed. It's such a pitiful thing. Oh, God. Whenever I look at this kind of thing, Brother Foss, it's not taking its toll on us. It's not doing that to us. You, you, you don't understand. God is going to take care of what belongs to Him. But when you get outside the parameter and you lose your respect, for the presence of God. You're asking for God to let His judgment. Brother Foss, don't preach judgment to us. Honey, I need to preach it to you. I wish I had the time to preach you a sermon on a red hot hell and men walking up and down the corridors of it, belching out that fire and brimstone out of their mouth, running out of their eyes, off of their fingers, off of their ears, screaming, My God! I wish I could get back to camp meeting. My God! I wish I could hear somebody preach. My God! If I could get somewhere, I wish I had time to preach to you that kind of sermon. But I can't do that, sir. The Lord sent me to Mississippi on a mission this year. I'm sorry. I know you don't believe it. He sent me here on a mission. And mission accomplished will be in just a little while. You see, if we are unanointed... And we lead people that are unanointed. We're all going to hell together. Maybe you don't understand. Brother Travis... How does it make you feel? When you have to go to a preacher and tell him the district board has voted. We've heard the case and I've got to ask you for your fellowship card. How does it make you feel? Does it take your sleep away from you? Does it hurt you? Does it make you want to cry? You watch that man walk off stoop-shouldered 
destroyed. With a curfew on the board. How do you feel when you have to voice your opinion? We need to take his license from him. How does it make you feel? You see, unanointed, unanointed, it won't bother you. That's the reason that you can jump up and say that you're you're killing devils. Every time somebody says something against you, you zap them with the authority of the pulpit. I sat down with a friend of mine and we sat at a table having trouble in his church. And the church today is an Assembly of God church now. And the Pentecostal voice is, is no longer there. And I sat there by him and in a restaurant. And we was looking out the window. There was a huge bulldozer. I've got 13 minutes legally. Illegally, I've got another hour. Okay? I sit there and I watched and we were drinking coffee. He said, Brother Foss, I need to talk to you. I went over there and he said, I I disfellowship five other men out of my church this week. I thought, my God, who did you disfellowship? It was men that had been in the church 20, 30, 40 years. I knew most of them. Godly men. Wonderful men. They disagreed with the pastor. The pastor used, unanointed, the power of the pulpit to kill those men. All the while we were sitting there, this big bulldozer was outside. You could hear it, the rumble and the roar of the, uh, uh, of the powerful machinery. And it was in a pecan orchard. They was clearing off that orchard for uh, uh, another building of some sort. And it was just about as far from here to the wall from where we were sitting. And I watched that big bulldozer get up against that pecan tree that was probably uh, 40 inches in diameter. And it was probably 80, 90 feet tall. And he raised that blade high as he could get it up on the trunk. And he just... The old tree stood it. It never wavered. But in a little while, you begin to see the top branches as those branches begin to gill. It wasn't long until the tree was swaying. It wasn't long until it got to swaying real big. He dropped the blade and got under the root and he pulled it over. As soon as it hit the ground, men got on it with power saws. They cut the tops out of it. They limbed it. They cut it where it could be split in firewood. They loaded it on a big trailer. And when they got it all loaded, they carried it off. The bulldozer covered over the, the hole. And in a little while, here come a small box blade. And, and he smoothed off where that, where that tree set. You couldn't even tell the tree had ever been there. I said, did you see what you saw? He said, yeah. I said, I saw that bulldozer destroy and pull down a tree. I said, you understand what he done? He said, yeah. He bulldozed a tree down. I said, no. He done what you done. 
when you disfellowship those men. He said, what do you mean? I said, you and me won't live long enough to grow another pecan tree like he destroyed in about 40 minutes and hauled it off. But unanointed, unanointed, these things start happening. We begin to lose everything. Honey, all I can tell you is go back to God. Oh, Brother Foster, you never did destroy anybody. You never did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When the Lord taught me my lesson, when I got in His presence, I found one of my board members in adultery. I went to him and I said, you're off of the board. You're not. Uh, you're out of fellowship. You know, I've done it. I thought the way the Bible said, do it. And I got up and told the church that I had this fellowship then, him. And they wasn't to talk to him. They wasn't to eat with him. They wasn't to drink with him. They wasn't to do anything with him. And, and uh, oh, and he was one of my best friends. But I was young. I was, man, I was full of fire. And I thought that's what I ought to do when I got home. Oh God, when I got home. And I knelt to pray. All I could see was my friend, hands in his pocket, standing there with tears dripping off under his chin. He got so bitter at me, he come by my house one day. And I walked out to his truck and there laid a forty-five automatic on the cushion. And I said, Floyd, how you doing? And he used a few choice words. He said, I'm not doing any good at all and you know it. And he said, you're meddling in my own affair. And he picked up that pistol and put it in my face. And he said, if you do anything else, I'll fill your mouth full of lead. And I knew that he meant it. I said, Floyd, do what you got to do. I only done what I thought was right. But he didn't know I was already praying. God, if you'll give me the opportunity, I'll restore that man. I'll bring him back. Hey, United Pentecostal Church, I'm sorry, but I'm talking to you today. My difference, my difference with you and, and me, the only complaint I've got with this great organization, we don't have anything in restoration. We don't have anything that will bring a man back. We don't have anything that will reach out and tell him, hey, I believe that God loves you. We make adultery the unpardonable sin. But I've come to tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ, it cleanses from all sin. It cleanses from all sin. And if the Lord can do it, we need to do it. Hey, come on! board members and I know you have to do what our manual calls for but oh God I'm praying somewhere that God will let a ministry of restoration come to somebody and if there's any way in the world to salvage a man that we'll reach out and put our arm around him and tell him we're going to salvage you some way and I started praying I said, every time I prayed I, for six months my wife will tell you that I cried at the house I wept I prayed for Floyd. God, do something. Do something. 
do something. Do something. You know, and I told him, I said, you're out. You're out now. And when you get back, you're going to come back the way I want you to come back. You've heard that before. And I told him that. And six months, his little wife come to church, faithful as she could be. She was such a wonderful woman. And she loved me. She thought the sun rose and set with Brother Foss. Oh, she she just, Brother Foss, you're the greatest. And, you know, and all the time, I knew I destroyed everything she had. I destroyed confidence. I had exposed some things that should not have been exposed. Hey, I don't know who the little guy was. The first young preacher that preached about covering, backing up with a quilt. Who was that? Brother Galloway. Maybe you didn't hear what the Lord was telling you. It's better not told. It's better to be buried in the blood of Jesus Christ. But Sister Noby didn't know that I was praying every night, God, show me what to do with Floyd. One day my phone rang. And I I had heard the voice that told me, Brother Foss, the fish are biting in such a lake. Come go with me. I've heard that so many times. But this time, I heard a voice, Brother Foss. This is Floyd. I heard the sob. I held my breath for a moment. And all of a sudden, I felt the drippings of Calvary completely flood my soul. No matter what, I would have been willing to get out on my knees. I would have crawled across my church platform. I would have begged him, please, please forgive me. And he said, I'm down here in the restaurant. And it was Antler's Inn. And he said, I'm in the back table in the back left-hand corner. Would you come talk to me? And when I walked in to where he was, he had on a light blue shirt. I thought about your shirt when I come in. You could see the big old dark places where the tears. When I walked in, he was looking at me. And tears running down his face, dripping off his chin. He didn't care who had saw it. And I walked over there and I sat down and, and tears running down my face. I don't care what people thought. But Lord looked at me. He said, I'm ready to come back. Can you tell me what i got to do? I said, honey, you don't have to do nothing. Just go and tell God. When He forgives you, you tell me God's forgive you. And I'll restore you. I'll restore you. And the greatest feeling I've ever had is the day that I stood Him up in front of my church. And I told Him, here He is. He's back. God forgive Him. I love Him. He's restored. You see, this is what happens to you when you get in His presence. 
You love people like the Lord loved them, Brother Born. You love a sinner just like God loved him when you're anointed. Say, Pastor Evangelist, when you're preaching under the anointing, you feel the same thing that Jesus Christ felt when he hung on the cross and said, It's finished. It's been a long time since you felt that way. Go back to his presence. Go back to his presence. I promised God then that I would never, I would never, ever, I would never, ever disfellowship another man. I would find a way to restore him. Criticize me if you like. I can't help it. But I sit in our home. I heard the phone ring. I was with my dad. And while the phone rang,
Chapman, where we belong. Amy Morris, devotion, and all fall down. 
new from newcomer, Sarah Mason. Hi there, Suzanne Strickland with you. Thanks for being with me. Coming up, uh, great music from Carolyn Ahrens and Philip Sandifer. But first I want to share this quote with you. Perhaps this is an oldie. Perhaps you've heard this one before, but I think it's great. The more sun you get, the less likely you'll burn. Sun, as in S-O-N. Isn't that great? Uh, yeah, I like it. Stay tuned. Carolyn Ahrens is next. Shape up, America. This is Peebo Bryson for New Life Products. I know that most of you have experienced the same problem that I have, yo-yo dieting. Well, I finally found a program that helps stop this. I had been taking New Life products for six weeks, and I'm feeling great. As a matter of fact, I've lost two belt sizes. The Shape Up America program consists of all natural supplements. They not only speed up your metabolism, but they burn fat and curb those cravings for sweets. And with the PM trim, you lose while you snooze. The best thing about this program is that you don't have to starve yourself to death or drink shakes. With this, you can eat all the foods you like and still lose weight. And the energy that it gives you, you feel great. It's time for you to get a whole new life. Call 1-800-451-1676. That's 1-800-451-1676. Ask for the Shape Up America program. Once again, for a new life, call 1-800-451-1676. Free Life offers you more income potential than any other multi-level business opportunity. These are actual testimonies from Free Life distributors. I'm Gene Turney, and after only six months in Free Life, my check was over $10,000. Hi, my name is Brenda Willoughby, and during our eighth month in Free Life, we earned over $4,300. This is Dr. Matthew Silver, and after my 11th month in Free Life, I had a check of over $7,700. Hi, I'm Emma Lyman, and I'm in my seventh month of Free Life International, and my last check was over $3,400. I'm Dan Petruskevich. My fifth month of free life, my check was over $4,400. Call 1-800-574-6118. Free Life is the youngest multi-level marketing company to be featured on the cover of Success Magazine. And now you know why. Call this 800 number and find out how you too can be successful in free life. 1-800-574-6118. 1-800-574-6118. Try to imagine for a moment how wonderful it would be if someone would make a movie on the life of Christ but film it in a modern setting. Nothing blasphemous now. I'm talking about the same gospel story we all love, but filmed in a setting our kids can understand, or our unchurched neighbors, for that matter. Well, wait no more. The critically acclaimed, full-length movie, The Judas Project, is now available in video. Heralded by Ted Bear's movie guide is a must-see film. The Judas Project is the video every family or church should have in their video library. The same special effects people that made movies like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark have made The Judas Project one of the most realistic and revolutionary movies ever on the life of Christ. The Judas Project is a film for everyone, and it's only $19.95 plus shipping and handling. Call for your copy today. Dial 1-800-84-JUDAS. That's 1-800-84-J-U-D-A-S. Major credit cards accepted. Spirit 106, John Rivers counts down the top 20 Christian songs in the nation on 20 to Countdown Magazine every Sunday at 12 noon on WYJS. Leaky faucet dripping the kitchen. 